Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics um, and who loves uh, gimmicks about hiding money in those duck comics. And this episode has a real doozy. This is going to be a fun one to talk about. We're talking today about a very goofy Uncle Scrooge adventure, the Paul Bunyan machine. But first, I've got to welcome back a couple of returning guests, a couple of other grown men, less grown than I am. But uh, welcome back to Ruben Olsrud and Mikael Hagen, both hailing from Norway longtime fans and and occasional contributors to to some of the comics you guys have won some participatory competitions in your youth and uh, and had the opportunity to be featured in the comics before so let's see welcome back ruben thank you thank you mark and uh Mikkel, thanks for joining yeah thank you mark it's great to be back so So you guys, I think all of us are excited to talk about this one, right? The Paul Bunyan machine. Um, This this is going to be a a weird dynamic because like it's probably not remembered as one of Bark's best. uh, But but all three of us just happen to really enjoy it, I guess. Uh, Would you say that's accurate, Ruben? Absolutely. And uh, even though the story itself, maybe there isn't so many, uh, there's a lot of memorable stuff here. You remember that big machine that will come to eventually. And also the, of course, I love Scrooge hiding money as well. And the way he hides his money and how that connects with the big axe machine in this story uh, is very memorable. Yeah, memorable is a good way to put it. What do you think, Mikael? I think there's a lot more to say about the story and its build-up and structure. So I think this will be an absolutely interesting conversation. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I, I just find this one so very entertaining. There's not a lot of like highfalutin big ideas in this one, although... Mikael, we did reference it as part of kind of like Karl Barks trilogy of hiding money in in nature stories yeah. back when we covered, you know, when we were talking about money well, um, along with only a poor old man. You know, these are the three stories where yeah. Scrooge is going to conceal his his money within the wilderness, within nature. And so you you could reach for some themes uh, in, in within that kind of subject matter, you know, but I'll, I'll be honest, like that's easier to do with only a poor old man and money well, which are much more contemplative stories. This one is, I think this one is mostly just trying to entertain. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you there, Mark, but there is, um, there is also interesting to see how Barks reinvent this whole plot. Because, the, of course, the Beagle Boys, as we will see later, have, they have learned from the two previous attempts to drain the money bin. Yeah, and the Beagle Boys, I think, are a real part of what makes this one so entertaining. Do, Ruben, do you just, when, when you see the Beagle Boys back for another story, what's your reaction? Oh, I love it. I love the Beagle Boys and I love Barks' Beagle Boys because 
in the later stories, the Beagle Boys have kind of become these like big dumb people. And I love just seeing them being like big henchmen. Uh, like they're tough, they're talking tough. And in some earlier stories, earlier stories, they're smoking cigarettes and they're, they're just acting real 50s tough guys. So uh, seeing them back and um, constructing this and making clever plots and actually being the terrible Beagle Boys, I think right. it's really interesting and I love seeing that. Yeah, and and you know this is another in a long line of um, we get to see that they are the terrible Beagle Boys, but they're also the very industrious Beagle Boys. We exactly. we always see them. I feel like every time we're talking about them, we're talking about how hard they've worked and how resourceful they are. Um, it, it's it's a pretty funny dynamic. So so you guys, let's cover a little bit of the background of this story. Uh, the Paul Bunyan machine came out in. October of 1959. Um, so we're, we're pretty close here to closing out the 50s. Uh, we're going to enter soon kind of a, a new era of Barks output, even, even if uh, decades are kind of arbitrary lines. Um, we're in Uncle Scrooge number 28. This is a pretty short adventure. It's a 21 pager. And then I found it notable that this one hasn't been reprinted all that often. At least in the United States, uh, there's only six printings, including collections, listed on Index. Um, and then as far as countries and overall, it's been printed in 19 countries for 95 overall tracked publications, which is definitely, definitely a smaller number than the average adventure. Um, you guys, there's not a ton of background information that I found about this one, but Barks did reference it in, in a correspondence in an exchange with John Spicer uh, in, in the 60s. You can find this linked in index. Oh, what's the in the Carl Barks? You can find this in the Carl Barks guidebook. But he said um, that he, he's kind of referring to some of the adventure stories from this era. He said there are some bad spots in some of those stories that I wish I could have done over. The climax fight in the recent Paul Bunyan theme could have been improved with a half-page spread of Scrooge's and the Beagle Boy's giant machines hacking each other to pieces, but I was afraid the editors would delete such a scene as being too violent. So, you know, that that's a, an interesting uh, look into his perspective. I completely agree that the, the story is almost begging for the exact scene that he's describing. It would have been fantastic. It probably would have elevated it and made the story a little bit more memorable. You know, we don't even see the, the machine tackle take on the bin, except in, in kind of a fantasy bubble. But, but you know, as, as he says, this is something he probably could have got away with in the late 40s, maybe even into the early 50s, but um, it, it would have been a little bit dicey here. Yeah, I think that if we'll just uh, really quickly comment on that sequence, it, it does kind of recall that uh, those steam... Uh, help me here, guys. Oh, the steam teams? The steam shovels. The steam shovel fighting scenes from Alert to Santa, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the, the the steam shovel fight was pretty spectacular. And and this this could have been similarly great, especially with the, the Northwest forest background. I had forgotten about uh, Bark's letter to Spicer there, but I was thinking about it when rereading the story that, uh, yeah, the story is, of course, begging for a big climax, but I guess the comic book code and Dell's pledge to parents, Bark's wisely, had to 
not to do this visual meet Clash of Titans. Right. You, you, you consider that maybe if it was a few years earlier, he would have just done it anyway, but kind of created it in a manner where it could have been taken out. So maybe there would have been yeah. something for people to discover later. But it's all right. I, th- I think it still packs a nice punch. It just definitely could have been escalated. It could, could have been elevated there. So you guys, um, there will be a lot to say about this one. But uh, before we get into it, um, we are going to do two things. We're going to detour just for a moment to talk about the, the title itself here is the Paul Bunyan machine. So it's necessary to mention briefly who the heck Paul Bunyan is or what a Paul Bunyan machine might be. Um, and then we're going to kind of segue into the, the segment where we pander to the international listeners because that that ties in pretty nicely. So I will ask you guys, I'm, I'm an American and Paul Bunyan is kind of an American icon, uh, a folklore icon, you would say. But um, is that a character that you guys are familiar with the way an American might be? Uh, Mikkel? Well, I definitely feel that Paul Bunyan is known here in Norway. He's, he, he's not like a huge character that everyone would know, of course, but he isn't exactly unknown either thanks to the Disney cartoon and different media portraying him. Like I'm reading Stephen King's book It right now and Paul Bunyan plays a huge role in that book as a giant plastic statue. Right. Well, what, what about you, Ruben? What's, what, what is your understanding, if you are familiar with him, of, of who Paul Bunyan is? Yeah, um, the name doesn't tell me anything, actually. I didn't remember who Paul Bunyan was from just the name. And then I did some research, quick research on this story, just before we... So I just Googled Paul Bunyan, and I saw this giant lumberjack figure. And I recall seeing something similar in some American media like that, like even as a statue, maybe for photographs of a statue or in like some kind of giant lumberjack. Okay, so that, that seems like a pretty good representation, right? Mikkel, you you are familiar with him from, yeah, like, also, America yeah. is good about exporting its own legends, obviously, just the, the whole Hollywood apparatus. But um, yeah. but Ruben, it was something that kind of rang a bell once you, you looked it up. So yeah, you mentioned that statue, you know, those, those like roadside statues of Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox are pretty iconic. But but it is it is a legend that goes back to I gather the early part of the 20th century. Um, and and there seems to be like a little bit of dispute whether it started as an advertising campaign or if it was an advertising campaign that kind of co-opted some of the tall tales that that actual lumberjacks would tell in the 19th century. But basically, he's a giant lumberjack who engaged in feats of strength. He had a, a side character named Babe the Blue Ox. And, and Mikkel, you mentioned that there was a pretty famous Disney short. Was that in the 50s, do you remember? I think it was the late 50s, uh, Yeah. probably, if I, or early, if it, around 1955. I, I feel like that version of it, as well as those roadside statues, are kind of the most iconic representations of the character. So that, that would have exported it to a lot of people. I can't even remember becoming aware of it. It's it's a shorthand in in America. It, it really is one of those references that kind of everyone knows. So you guys, the the interesting thing, and 
and what this kind of ties into, we always like to talk about some titles from around the world. I did find that when people translated this, sometimes they would go with like a, the name, they wouldn't use the name Paul Bunyan, they would use the name of kind of an equivalent woodsman. Sometimes it was a legendary one. Sometimes it might have even been a real one that the local country might have as their own like cultural reference. So, so that was kind of fun to learn that, you know, there's a, a Finnish equivalent and there was a German equivalent. And you guys, <laughs> you guys have your own local equivalent, right? Do you, I, I'm going to just say the title. The, the one that I think the most common title is Sterke Nils med Oxen, which apparently translates to strong Nils with the axe. How did I do with the pronunciation, you guys? I think you did quite mark. Really, really not that bad. Let me hear the right one, uh, Ruben. Sterke Nils med Oxen. All right. So, yeah. so you guys, is this like a character, Strong Nils? Is this is this someone who has some kind of occupies the same cultural space in Norway, Mikkel? I honestly think it was just made up for this story. I uh, okay. can't ever remember to have heard anything about Strong Nils or maybe right. Ruben does. Yeah. What about you, Ruben? I have. I've heard about Strong Nils. He was a guy that lived in the 16th century, no, the 18th century, and he was very strong, of course. <laughs> and he was. There are legends and stories being told about him lifting giant stones and stuff like that. And there are many stones around the country that have plaques saying Strong Nils lifted this there and there and when and everything. He did exist, and there's, there's just so many stories about him. Yeah, that's pretty cool. When I when I Googled him, I'm, I'm one of those pictures of the stones that you mentioned comes up. So so it sounds like he does occupy kind of the same space, but he's maybe not as as famous or as iconic. Mikael, since you you are familiar with Paul Bunyan, but not like the local equivalent. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty disappointed in myself for not not to rem <laughs> either remembering or knowing about Strong Nils. All right, we've we've all got our gaps. Um, I do think yeah. for the purpose of this story, the the interesting thing to like really emphasize about Paul Bunyan is that he is literally a giant, right? He's not just like renowned for, I mean, he's of course renowned for his feats of strength, but like he is literally a giant in, in these old tall tales, whereas the other ones I think are just all like pretty big or pretty strong. Let's see, Mikkel, I was going to have you tell us, I believe, about the, the Finnish version. No, so the, the Finnish title for um, the Paul Bunyan machine, and I will say sorry in advance to all our Finnish duck friends, and if I butcher the pro pronunciation too much, but uh, the Finnish title is uh, Natti Jussi. Yep, that's right. Which uh, translates and... to Pretty John. Right, Pretty John, who, again, this is just me briefly Googling it, um, apparently was like a, a pretty famous lumberjack or woodsman uh, who I think really did exist and just kind of was a local Finnish legend renowned for his feats of strength. It's weird that the the title, like the, for the first publication, at least first couple, it is just Pretty John. It's just Nati Lucy, Nati Yusi, um, at least according to Index. So, and then um, Ruben, you were going to tell us the German title. Yeah, I'll try. I can read Hans Hockebeil, which, trans which translates to Hans Cleaver. Right. And and I don't have like specific information that suggests that there was a legend here by that name. Um, when you Google that name, 
you just mostly get the Scrooge comic here. So uh, I could be misreading this, but my 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 take on it is that they kind of came up with a, a German equivalent of the name, but for whatever reason, didn't want to go with Paul Bunyan itself. So the German German listeners can feel free to correct me. Let's see. There are a couple of other interesting ones. I'll just rattle off really quickly. In in Danish, it's Björne Banden Gar til Angreb, which is the, the bear gang goes on the attack. It was interesting for me to learn that in, I guess, Swedish and Danish, the Beagle Boys are called the Bear Gang. And then in Italian, it was um, Paperon de Paperoni e lo Scassatuto, which is Uncle Scrooge and the Wrecker. That's a cool title. Yeah, it is. Pr- pretty straightforward. Um, and, and then there seems to be some kind of an idiom in Swedish where it's Björn Ligen Huger Till, the Beagles cut to the chase. So yeah, I, I thought this was, I. it's been a little while since the translations were interesting. Uh, you know, especially interesting, but they definitely were this time around. It's interesting learning about all these characters and legends from throughout Europe and America. Yeah, and kind of, kind of anyone with a big forest mm-hmm. <laughs> that can yeah. be cut down seems to have this like supernatural or super strong lumberjack character. All right, so you guys, let's do it. I'm I'm really stoked to go into the the content of the story here. I'm going to kind of summarize very briskly each page, and you guys are going to provide your thoughts. Paul Bunyan Machine, to me, has a pretty memorable opening hook, you guys. We have, so so we get some stage setting, right? I, I like to talk about how Barks establishes character each time for potential new readers. We do see Uncle Scrooge outside of his money bin. You know, there's no Killmotor Hill around this era. He's mostly been drawing the bin on flat ground for whatever reason. But uh, he, he is encountering his nephew, Donald. And as Donald points out, as Donald observes, he looks crippled. Um, he's clutching his back. He's leaning on his cane, and he he tells his nephew he's got rheumatism. Um, and he and and Donald asks him, or he comments that it must be from the damp weather. But um, but we learn one of these. This is one of these really funny character beats. Um, I guess it it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Uncle Scrooge's malady in the mysterious stone ray. But um, he seems to have this like sensitivity to burglars, right? If if there's some burglar planning some larceny in the vicinity, it hurts. Uh, it's hurting his back. It's hurting his joints. And uh, it sets up the next sequence by saying he'd like Donald to accompany him to kind of like almost do the, the hot cold game. Do you guys know that? You're getting warmer, you're getting colder um, to, to pinpoint where the source of this is coming from. So you guys, I think this is a really cool and intriguing opening here yeah i think it's cool to see the money bin again and it's cool to see uh, duckburg i lo- always love seeing duckburg uh, i do kind of i think it always is like this weird when scrooge has this when he can sense it in such a specific way i really i, I really don't believe it to be honest i think it's kind of putting me out of the story but i'm, I'm, I'm just gonna have to go with it for this story but i love right. the scenery and i love the characters and yeah Right, because well. Barks won't be remotely consistent with this kind of ability. What do you think, Mikkel? I find this really interesting and frankly has a lot to say about this because uh, here we see Barks taking um, 
kind of these gags uh, from the beginning of Wonder Poor Old Man with Scourge being stressed and all the pains of rats and moths flying around. Here he kind of takes it to the next level with Scrooge developing almost a mythical supernatural sense where he can feel burglars approaching and he gets rheumatism and uh, aches and radar nerves and all this stuff. Right. So it's, it's basically Barks building up to this whole... Um, well, we are soon going to see Magic of the Spell and more mythical uh, tokens like the um, number one dime becoming a lucky dime for a short period of time. He definitely has this period of his career where he gets a little bit more, as you say, kind of like uh, supernatural focused. But yeah, I, I guess if you wanted to kind of like kind of like force some consistency on this, you could say that the more times he has to like worry about his money, maybe it's something that he just develops at this. Yeah, point. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a cool thought that they may that he may like build this up, as I said, develop this kind of a supernatural <laughs> right. uh, power. He's already been smelling gold for years, so why not? Right. Why not raid their nerves? Right. It's it's definitely consistent with his character that he's especially attuned to money specifically. You guys, I really like this next sequence where they're gonna home in on the source of the trouble by you know how like how much pain he's experiencing um, because we, we do every, every panel, he kind of is starting to feel worse and worse pains. It's really funny to me how the, some of the kind of like old timey terms for some of the maladies that he's going to experience as he gets closer, you know, they, they kind of follow down the seedy looking neighborhood and he, he first, he gets a twinge in his left shoulder then he's coming down with chest pains he gets pain in the gizzard just looking at the, the seedy-looking um, building. Of course, a gizzard is an organ that birds have, so that's kind of a, a weird little aside. And at some point, when, when he sees the tall doors that face his bin that are concealing whatever the threat is in this building, he comes down with double lumbago and bursitis in all his joints. Double lumba lumbago is kind of an archaic term for uh, back pain, lower back pain. It's not used anymore in English, you guys. So it, it already, I think, sounds a little bit out of date here. And I, I just find it really funny, all of the things that he say, uh, that he says are are afflicting him and and how he has to take a sip of his rheumatism medicine before he um, peeks into a crack in the building. Well, there is some suspense of disbelief that uh, Scrooge has never noticed this ugly building with huge uh, doors right behind his money bin. But, uh... <laughs> right, right. Facing against. But but then, you know, yeah. he overlooked those oil rigs in, um, in the money well. Any thoughts That's here, true. Ruben? I think it's kind of cool sequence, but I just gonna say that I love the art. I love the character, how Barks expresses uh, Scrooge's pain here, and also how on top of the next page that Donald seems like very annoyed that Scrooge like pull yourself together, man. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. The character art of him um, suffering here is very entertaining, uh, including him like wincing before he takes his apparently very gross rheumatism. It's a great expression. So you guys. They they do peer into this giant building and and they see something. What they see is like why I love the story, right? I think it's why we all really like this. This 
this machine, they see a giant machine. They see a, a large number of Beagle Boys working on the machine. Who wants to tell us what the machine is? Well, as the text box is telling us, inside the building, we see this giant machine. This uh, with the Beagle Boys um, building uh, around on it and making it ready. There is uh, huge wheels. The front wheels are far bigger than the, the back wheels. And there is a huge opening with the saw blades uh, in, in the mouths of the machine. But most important and most noticeable are the giant axe, the axe uh, wielder on top. Exactly. Ruben, what do you think of this giant yeah. vehicle here? Well, well, it's it's great. It looks really industrial and really great. And I just wanted to comment that I just realized that it doesn't fit inside the panel. And of course, that it is to understate how giant this machine is. But you could just draw it a little bit smaller and away further away from the machine. But intentionally made it so that almost every single side of the machine is sticking out of the panel just to underline how yeah. giant the machine is. Yeah, I think you're right. And the panel itself is kind of contoured to the shape of the machine. I, I love this machine, you guys. The 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 like axe, uh, the action of the axe. It just it's such a great hook for this story. I can't wait to see it in action. Um, and you know, we see the Beagle Boys talking about it. They have nicknamed it a Paul Bunyan machine, uh, and it's very clear what they're gonna do with it. They're gonna they're gonna chop his bin in half in one wallop. And you know, Scrooge has kind of the predictable reaction. We get a little bit, just enough, I guess, of Bark's hand waving. He'll often talk about how the Beagle Boys or whoever can't be stopped by the cops for, for whatever reason, right? Like in this case, it's because the, the machine is just too big. There aren't enough cops in Duckburg to stop it. I mean, you guys, it's, it's a little silly because, of course, the, the Beagles haven't finished it if he literally went there right now. You could probably get a court injunction. Blah blah blah. Whatever. We know that that that's real world rules. I I think it's it's just enough by comic book logic. What do you guys think? I think it works fine. It wouldn't be a story if we couldn't if we, if we didn't see the machine in some action. Right. I think it's I think it's better just to to actually address this and come up with as you call it a hand waving solution other than just not. So just having like some excuse that oh this can't be done because of that that this and that is better than to not address it at all. Yeah, and I think I think it's just enough. One of the outstanding panels here is is on on the next page is going to be something that doesn't actually happen, right? It's it's something that that never comes to fruition. The Beagle Boys are not going to get to actually use the machine. So so I'm glad that Barks kind of hedges his bets here. And, and he, he he depicts the cool thing because he has Scrooge visualizing the machine in action. And he kind of helpfully even shows us how the machine can like suck up the money into this thresher um, rather than just, you know, smashing it into. I, I love that panel. We've got yet another little connection to only a poor old man where he's crying out, oh, woe is me, I'll be up. Poor old duck. Yeah, it seems like Barks really must have had that classic of his in mind when he was doing this one, huh, guys? Definitely. So, so you guys, after after this, we get kind of the aftermath. This is like just like in in those other stories we talked about, and and in Golden River, um, this is like a catastrophe that kind of causes Scrooge to collapse, right? So, so Donald calls Huey, Dewey, and Louie 
to bring their wagon to help him to help haul him home. And I love what Donald says. He has come down with arthritis, bursitis, gingivitis, gout, colic, and high blood pressure. So he just has this laundry list now of maladies because of his burglar sensitivity. And it's a hilarious list. Any thoughts there, Mikhail? Yeah, it's also, it's kind of reminiscent of Under Poor Old Man when Donald and Scrooge goes down from the stress and Donald calls Hugh, Dew, and Louis and better bring him a sandwich. Right. That's all right. Says. Exactly. The, he, he really likes this moment, right? Where Scrooge's woes um, overwhelm him and his nephews have to step in to help Help yes. him with this phone call. Yeah, but it's still exciting. It still feels new. It doesn't feel like a rehash. Uh... It does. I agree. This one to me definitely does not feel like a rehash. And I think that's because of how great of a hook the machine itself is. Do you guys know what that whole list of maladies is? Yeah, I'm sure you know what arthritis is, right? These yeah, are I things know. that you may not know based on how they translate. Uh, I uh, think yeah, I know what colic is. So, so, <laughs> so colic is what yeah. newborn babies have when they can't yeah. stop crying. And gingivitis is gum disease. Bursitis is joint disease, just like arthritis is. So the, the arthritis and the bursitis are legitimate things, right? As is the kind of the high blood pressure. But gingivitis, gout, and colic are all just thrown in to make it one of those comic laundry list things. I think it's worth pointing out. I'm, I'm overanalyzing a joke here, but there are a lot of people who listen to this and other countries with who don't get to benefit from a translation and and realize how funny this list of, of maladies is yeah and i just have to comment on that because i'm sitting here with norwegian edition and i was kind of disappointed that these are uh, kind of real things because in the norwegian translation they're all puns on money it has like like uh, fake, fake money diseases or yeah, something fake money diseases and puns with money on right so i was i was really expecting some really funny like yeah, barks puns here yeah i, re I really like it i it, it's it's a very for, for me it's a very funny panel i do like this next sequence a lot right this is not one of those times where scrooge is going to just kind of collapse into despair um, this is one where he bounces back, uh, and, and I like seeing that. I like I like seeing him despair and then kind of regroup, right? So he's he's determined. He's going to save whatever he can. He hauls some money in in the the kid's wagon until the weight of the money causes it to collapse. Then he scoops some in his top hat, which again is going to collapse from the weight of the money. So. Uh, he resorts to his pockets. The same thing happens. Um, and, and finally, we end up with him just taking a double handful of coins to the bank where he is turned down because the bank already has too much of his cash. And that's great when he's being refused and he says, oh, not even a handful. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think that's a hilarious sequence. What about you, Mikkel? I think I really, this is probably my favorite sequence of the whole story. And uh, it's also one of those rare moments where Barks uh, makes a callback to one of his previous stories. Because when uh, Scrooge, Scrooge pockets uh, rip, up, rip apart because of the coins, and he say, I had pockets, I mean, one of the nephews say, Uncle Scrooge bought that coat uh, in 1902. He's referencing um, uh, the golden fleecing. The first page of the golden fleecing in the second panel, we hear Scrooge uh, thought to himself, here I am still wearing this old broad coat that I bought at a rummage sale in Scotland in 1902. Yeah. yeah. 
that's that's a good catch. It's it's so neat that he was consistent with that deal detail. It makes me wonder if he referenced it, remembered it, or if it was just like luck of the draw that he was consistent with himself because yeah. he he's so incredible. Yeah, Ruben. Uh, and it's not even the only time on this page that he is referencing other stories because in the second panel he also states that he has been moving his money to hide it from the Beatles boys before and he can do it again so he's referencing only a poor old man and stories like it. Right, yeah, we've got this. He's I, think got that's this. I, I love seeing Barks being, I love the rare occasions where Barks reference other stories or is in some kind of continuity. Right, because it's more like he's referencing now this thing about his character rather mm-hmm. than this is what he does he has to he has to save his money and and even when he gets to the bank it's not directly referencing the time that the bank had to turn him down from um what was the 10 pager there was like the round money bin i think is the one where they despair at seeing him you know coming coming with the with his money to change his money at the bank. But but you know, it's it's the same kind of thing. The bank, we have this history of the bank blanching when they see Scrooge McDuck. So Barks is actually really doing a pretty good job here too, I think of establishing why he can't um why he can't do this. You know, the banks, no one else has the capacity to hold the contents of his bin. And so that's going to leave him in this next sequence to do some pondering. Um, and this this has got to be one of our best worry room sequences here, right? Because because we're going to see the worry room actually start out as its normal <laughs> groove, and and just a little ways into the story, he's actually going to work the groove down even deeper um, within the story. But before we see that, we're going to see Barks do even a little bit more establishing of why this is such a problem for Scrooge this time, because he's going to have the nephews notice that the Beagle Boys have an X-ray trained on the money bin um, so that they can actually make sure that Scrooge isn't sneaking the money off because of this history that Barks has established between Scrooge and the Beagles. Um, so yeah, the, the nephews notice his Geiger counter beeping. Uh, it, it's some really good stage dressing here in this story, you guys, some some stage setting. Any any thoughts here on, on these couple of pages? Well, we again, we are going back to the Scrooge going to the bank. That's I just really have to point out how well done the character poses and expressions are here. The panel Scrooge are getting, getting thrown out of the bank and he's worried look as he has a handle scarf. Um. I, I, I noticed that specific panel too, where he gets like, he gets 86 from the bank. He, it looks great. It's, it is just some wonderful character art there. Uh, let's see. So the... the the nephews come back to report this new finding to Scrooge, and that is all the time that it has taken for Scrooge to um, dig the groove down in his worry room to, what do you guys think, is it about two feet deeper probably than it was maybe maybe an hour before? Well, it sure is incredible. He did like a thousand years of wear and tear. <laughs> it's a great sight gag. It's it's, a, it's such a nice one. So you guys, we we do transition kind of quickly 
here, right? Between this big problem, they tell him you'd better repave this worry room because you've got the biggest problem you ever had to solve. But we do transition pretty quickly here. There's not, sometimes there might've been a pondering sequence, you know, but I guess we've had enough of that already. Scrooge has figured it out. His plan is to mail his money in packages to a place called Tall Tree, Idaho. So you guys, we're back, we're back in the Pacific Northwest. Barks loves the Pacific Northwest. I've been maintaining uh what I what I nerdily call the Barks Remarks adventure map. Um, just putting little pins on a map corresponding to these adventures. And there sure have been a lot of them in like Oregon, Washington, Alaska, British Columbia. I, I do think this is the first time that he's been to Idaho specifically. But um, but yeah, we're in the Pacific Northwest again. Barks just loves it. Do you guys like this setting? Yeah, I of course like to see nature. That reminds me about Norway as well. So yeah, Feels yeah, familiar. I'm sure. I was also going to mirror that because I come from the eastern parts of Norway, close to kind of close to Sweden, and I also come from my uh, generations of sawmill workers. So this is <laughs> this is very feels like home to me in a way. Yeah, I was I was thinking that this um, this story specifically must feel very relevant to Scandinavians. So you know, Scrooge is basically his plan is to mail his money out, and then he's also got some incoming packages. Um, and and we don't really see what the shtick is immediately how he is going to fool the Beagle Boys, but we see their reaction to all this mail, which is pretty naive, right? Um, because they just assume that Scrooge is making more money for them to steal because they see the level of the bin is actually rising. And so while while Scrooge is doing this, he gives the duck their orders. He's going to have them um, travel to Tall Tree, Idaho. We get this fun um, we get this fun panel of the post office that's actually just been inundated by Scrooge's packages. And, and they have their orders, which is to drive the um, drive those packages of money out to a part of the wilderness that, that Uncle Scrooge has bought 100 square miles um, in a valley north of Tall Tree. And they're just tossing it among the trees. And, and Donald alludes to how Scrooge has figured out a special kind of hiding place. And he's going to tell us when he gets there. What do you guys think? How is this part of the story working for you, Ruben? Well, uh, I'm going to say it's mysterious because you can tell that Scrooge has a plan, but you, you don't know it yet. So I think that's a really exciting way because you, he's always smiling throughout all these sequences and he feels very confident that this will work, kind of like in Brule Man, actually. But the nephews still don't know it more than what they don't know more near, they don't know more than they have to, and nor does the reader. So I think that's really exciting. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a neat approach when when the ducks kind of are the stand-in for us, the reader, wondering what's going on. I kind of I kind of wish we saw an even bigger mountain of packages with money because I think yeah. there's I think the the, the little uh, the little pile there is a little too tiny. Really, it would be should yeah. Be I, I definitely agree. This one called for um a, like a half page panel that maybe showed exactly what we see here and then a much bigger mound kind of behind mm -hmm. 
the post office threatening to bury it. Could have been like a very funny scene of maybe some postal employees trying desperately to shore it up. So it feels like a missed opportunity, probably based on like the the space assignment here, you know. But you're right. It doesn't it definitely doesn't correspond when you count all the packaging uh, with how much money Scrooge would actually have sent there. And of course, you know, this is going to keep the post office working overtime for weeks and weeks. It, it is worth noting, you guys, that absolutely everything, all of the major projects in this story are the kinds of things that like, if you add up all the time, this would really take. This story is going on for years and years. The construction absolutely. of these these two machines, the, the operation, just the transport of the money, the transport of the machines to the north. That's, that's our big comic book logic here. Maybe that's why this one doesn't work as well for some readers, but I, I'm totally suspending all the necessary uh, disbelief for this one. So you guys, D-Day has arrived, or should I say B-Day? It's the Beagle Boys mm -hmm. are going to open the doors Again, there seems to be a missed opportunity because like that bottom panel where they're pushing open those tall doors, it's just a regular size panel. But how great would it be to see the, the machine on full display and a half size panel there as they're getting ready to like actually drive over and smash the bin? One of the Beagles, the Beagles agree that someone needs to go warn Scrooge to get out of there. And, and a couple of them say, good idea. After all, we don't want him to get hurt. And, and the Beagle that's going to warn him thinks Scrooge is our meal ticket. He and his money-making ways. You guys, this is interesting to me, right? Like, you could either read it as the Beagles are, they're bad guys, but they don't want McDuck to get hurt. But on the other hand, they just want him around to make them more money, maybe to steal later. What did you think about it? I think this is uh, kind of Bark's uh, comment on how he did see the Beagle Boys as crooked, like burglars. They are criminals in his mind. And we also see this again in um, the giant robot robbers, where the Beagle Boys will, or in that story, they think that they killed Scrooge accidentally when he was trying to fly and... and I, it's been a while. I don't remember the robot robbers that well, but I do remember that part now that you mention it. Well, the point is that one of the Beagle Boys has a panel where he dries up a tear and thinks, oh, poor old Scrooge, he, he made a, made us such a living or something. Right. He oh. made yeah, so much money for like, us to steal. <laughs> it seems like there might be a little bit of fondness or at least not malice, but... Um, it also might just be an effect of like, it might be a comics code thing. What do you think, Ruben? Any, or any thoughts? First of all, I think it's very humane. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Kind of weirdly humane. It's working for me. And also I see, I'm just going to comment on what you said, Mikkel, because having this fondness for the rival, I kind of like that. It reminds me of like yeah, Tom and Jerry or Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, where like Tom catches Jerry and he's holding him and he's like, hey, now what? Now what? <laughs> I, I agree. It is a little bit weird it but but it's also being used as the opportunity to propel the story forward because the beagle is going to go over um i agree with you it's neat seeing that kind of like affection 
mild affection between rivals. Well, there is definitely a more mild affection between Scrooge and the Beagles than, let's say, Magic of the Spell of Winter Glumgold. Yeah, you're right. I wonder if that's because the Beagles, like, want the same thing as Scrooge. You know, they want his money, whereas, like, Glomgold just wants the title. Magicka just wants his, like, powers, quote. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I really like this next almost page yeah, this is a Beagle Boys only page. We see this one Beagle venture in. Really good sense of place here, right? As as the Beagle Boy, we he he ventures kind of across the space in between the buildings. We see him at the entrance. We see him at Scrooge and McDuck's office. We see him at the vault door and then into the bin. It's a really convincing progression of just little microgeography. You guys notice the sign on the left open vault door when the beagle arrives. <laughs> yeah. Help yourself. Says, Help yourselves, Scrooge McDuck. Um, and the beagle boy <laughs> is getting more alarmed as he gets closer and he says, hey, I wonder if anything's wrong. I wonder if our money is safe. And, and he arrives in the bin and at first he thinks, uh-oh. And and I, I don't know, you guys, if, if you look glance at it really quickly, it almost looks like the money is still in there. Um, but on closer inspection, it is revealed to just be entirely filled with washers. You know, the little bolts, the little uh, the little things that you use to properly attach bolts, which are pretty coin sized and could fool, as they're going to say, a dumb X-ray machine. This is a, another great example. It's uh, it's the empty money bin and it's the um, laxer oil. What's, oh, the castor oil? Castor oil. It's uh, it's another take on that. And it's, it's still funny. It's uh, This is a different take, but it's funny. Uh, the big yeah. boys got tricked again. Yeah, it's it's not as funny as the castor oil, maybe. Um, but but it is a fun and it's a unique take on it. Any thoughts, Ruben? I, I think it's fun. And it's uh, it's not that surprising. You could kind of see it coming, but also it, you, you still you still get it. And if you, as a child, I believe I still would be surprised because I don't see the, the, these kind of tools that often. Uh, and also, I just figured, how much would this cost? Would, yeah. uh, so I just quickly did a Google and I find uh, in a Norwegian store, these called these uh, pieces cost six kroner per six kroner per uh, per disc and that would be how much in dollars like well, one dollar is yeah six cents a piece yeah they're really cheap if you go buy them at like um, the home improvement store and you can get them in bulk pretty cheap so i imagine scrooge gets them in extreme bulk from mcduck yeah. industries but it's still a lot of washers it's it's another of those things that just kind of it falls apart under a little bit too much careful thought but but this is a comic book and it i think it's well within the realm of Absolutely. it yeah i've been thinking about how scrooge was able to both empty his bin and fill up with washers at the same time without mixing up mm -hmm. the coins and washers but right right we're not too concerned about how he coordinated it so you guys um we're done with the first half of the story right now we're we're gonna 
transition entirely to tall tree for the most part. The Beagle Boys will join us later. Um, but Scrooge is going to arrive. He's going to literally parachute in. His rheumatism, rheumatiz as they call it, is, is much better. And, and he's thinking that he's cured for all time. And he's revealing what his actual plan is when he has Donald go get some power tools. They are going to drill holes into these like primeval ancient redwoods and hide his money uh, deep within. So you guys like there's some ecological concerns here, obviously. Um, I guess the trees are big enough that this probably wouldn't hurt them. But it is it, it's it's another of those things that it worked for me as a kid. As a grown up, I have a few questions. Um, I also thought about that the hope. That uh, if, if although I don't hope Scrooge had plans for doing the having this having the money hide the hair for years because it would grow together maybe wouldn't it? I don't it know. Would. Right. It yeah. would. Yeah. A tree <laughs> can the, um, it yeah, can grow the around the bicycle or whatever. Right. Yeah. The trees won't care. They'll swallow it right <laughs> up. But but obviously he's eventually going to log it out. So there, there's not too much to say about the process of doing this. It's a lot of drudgery work. Barks even says weeks pass. Um, I do like the little exchange he has with Louie where he says, I've got to pin a medal on myself. This tree boring idea is the cleverest stunt since the invention of banking. And the nephew says, woodpeckers thought of it thousands of years ago. I like that Rosa even throws in a woodpecker on, on his cover here. Oh, he does. So, That's great. So it's a neat little recognition of, of what this idea actually is. The point of this sequence is just to show Scrooge thinking his money is safe and that he's feeling better. And we get this little aside where he doesn't want to reveal his location to the world. Um, so his clerks are kind of despairing. Where is he? Because we need him to make some important decisions. So the next sequence is about how are we going to insert the Beagle Boys back into this? They are going to be pondering, what the heck are they supposed to do with their colossal Paul Bunyan machine? It seems like such a waste. And um, they encounter the government is accepting bids for the logging of a site in, in Tall Tree Valley in Idaho for a dam site. So this this is another of those moments. The beagles, you know, the, the one beagle says that if they re-engineer it so that it has a horizontal flat swing instead of the vertical chopping swing, they've got the best Paul Bunyan machine around that's, you know, like it's perfect for it. So that you guys, this is going to be another of those moments where the beagles are really making a great go of honest labor. They are. And I I just thought of, thought of it when I was reading this because I've heard you multiple times commenting on why can't the Beagle Boys just use their their efficientness to and their time to do something legal. And now they're kind of doing it, even though that wasn't the intention, but they are they're going to re they're going to modify it so that's some kind of work i believe yeah it's it's so funny how how industrious they are this is definitely one of the things that i've noticed doing this podcast in a systematic way um so you know everyone is now headed to tall tree idaho and the ducks finish hiding the money um just in time for scrooge to despair that his rheumatism has returned uh, and, and so, again, they need to kind of triangulate where is it coming from. 
and they're going to approach an ominous rumbling sound. Um, and they are going to encounter the Beagle Boys and their Paul Bunyan machine. Uh, boy, what do you guys think about this this panel of the machine in action, Mikael? It's a wonderful splash panel. Uh, you have this tiny little panel in the top middle where Scrooge and Don and Nephews are looking at the, um, the machine in action. But you, you have this huge swing of the axe uh, chopping down all the huge trees and this roar. I feel like this is probably the first time you really get a good, good look at the Paul Bunyan machine outside of the of the warehouse, uh, no, of the of the of the building, the of the Beagles, uh, except for the dream sequence. Exactly, we finally get to see it in action, and it looks great. I I love this panel. This is so imaginative and and to me so satisfying. It's it's definitely the one that comes to mind first when I think about this story. Absolutely, it looks great, and I love how you see the swing of the axe. And Barks kind of plays with perspective here because that axe is actually, if you follow it onto where it's located on top of the machine, it's like, I don't know, 20 meters up in the air. And it looks like it's not being pointed downwards in any way. It's always horizontal. But right. It's, yeah. But it still chops off the trees in very low to the ground. He kind of plays with perspective here. And I, I think it's fun. I, I can, I just love how it looks. And also, I just figured, uh, I just looked at it and I thought of the machine from uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where they have two rotating blades in front and they just drive into like the rainforest or something to, just to make their own way. Seen in the Indiana Jones. That movie. sounds really familiar. And like I probably had that thought when I first watched that movie i couldn't tell you if i had that thought the second time i watched that movie because i didn't watch that movie a second time <laughs> for for unfortunate reasons that's so, truly understandable mark you're not like, the only one that only saw that once right which is a shame because you know we we know that barks uh inspired Spielberg and Lucas that could well have been a, a little homage that they slipped in to the fourth Indiana Jones movie as as unfortunate as the outcome of that movie was I can't wait to see what of, because of the time of the recording of this uh, video this uh, this podcast the news I haven't seen I believe there's been a Hollywood premiere of the new indie movie but I can't wait to see what Barks references are in there <laughs> right so you guys, uh, Scrooge is going to have that necessary moment where he's like, again, he's rallying. He's going to um, get the law because they're stealing his timber. And what he's going to discover is that when he's been off the grid, um, no one's he's he's been a missing person, essentially. This is a big oversight. This is definitely one of the plot holes of the um of the story but it's fine we don't have cell phones in this era but the the sheriff explains to him that you know everyone's been looking for you it's not spelled out specifically but we're imagining that maybe the government wanted this land and has now seized it because scrooge is missing or something and is going to do this reservoir but the point is that the beagles have a contract to do this legally so scrooge is going to have to think of other ways to stop them and scrooge mcduck being scrooge mcduck apart from compound interest one of his favorite tools is, is a good old cannon so He's going to drive a cannon over and fire it at 
the Paul Bunyan machine just to try and damage it enough and slow them down enough to, you know, figure out a good plan. You guys, it's it's intriguing to me here that when he tries to do this, it, it really backfires, right? Because the Beagles had no idea that this was Scrooge's land, basically, until he alerted them by throwing, uh, by firing a cannonball into their thresher, which, you know, that's going to trigger them to be like, well, if McDuck's here, his, his money must must not be far away. And, and they have brought that x-ray machine, so they are able to turn it on and see the money hidden within the trees. Um, and they, they put full speed, they go full steam ahead at this point. You guys, I probably the funniest bit here is what happens with the, the cannonball. Does anyone want to tell us about that? Well, I'd love to, because as a collector, you just have to imagine having one of these. And uh, well, the cannonball goes into what would you call that, Mark? Uh, with, I, with the yeah, the grinder or the, the thresher. Front. Yeah, they go into the grinder in front. So on the inside of the machine, there's this conveyor belt where you can see uh, little figurines of Scrooge McDuck in a very generic but lovable pose coming out after each other and the Beagle Boys is pointing them out and telling us that these are made from the cannonballs. It, just in case there were something in, that's put into the grinder that wouldn't be grinded that easily, they could melt it and mold it into these figurines. Yeah, I, I get the impression that they could like program it to kind of make whatever they want. And they're doing this to be ironic. Whoa, um, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird uh, 3D printing, 3D printing. Right, exactly. It seems like the Beagle Boys might've invented 3D printing here. <laughs> um, they, he, the one who is watching the conveyor belt specifically says, our Paul Bunyan machine makes the cutest dollies out of those cannonballs. <laughs> you guys, this is just totally ridiculous and it's totally unnecessary. Um, but I find it delightful. It cracks me up. The, the whatever is going in comes out as something else. Um, it's, it's, it's a little it's bit flavor. of a reach. It's flavor. <laughs> really yeah. Is. Yeah. It adds it's a nice it's, it's, little, yeah. little element to it that, that I find very funny. And if anyone here that listens to this podcast know how to uh, melt cannonballs and make stuff like that, I would love to buy a little Scrooge figurine made out of a melted cannonball. Yeah. Because I, I uh, think... that would be a real fun. I can't. Oh, I just have to imagine like having one of these on my shelf. <laughs> I know. I think we're all in agreement that that all of us are, are just desperate for one of those little Scrooge figures. I'll, I'll put me down for number one off the line. I hope they're numbered. I'll take number two. <laughs> yes. And and so, you know, uh, the next moment, the one of the nephews says offhandedly, it's going to take more than cannon shots to put a monkey wrench in that machinery. Do you guys, I, I imagine that this, this is an English idiom, right? The term to throw a monkey wrench into something um, is, is an English language saying that means to foul something up. So I don't know if that's a saying. I'm guessing that's not a saying in Norwegian, is it? Well, that's up to... I don't know what the Norwegian translations say, actually, because no. I only have the pantographics book here. But I can't recall uh, that that is an expression in any way in Norwegian. Uh, yeah, so, I, so I imagine this might feel a little bit random if you're a non-English reader. It does, uh, because the nephews just say in Norwegian translation that I own right there, that the nephews here say that 
there would be needed more than one monkey wrench to demolish that machine. And then Scrooge just gets this because they say a monkey wrench. Oh, I'm going to have to order him, what, how many? 12,000 monkey wrenches and right. just throw it, throw it at him. Yeah, so this is one of the things that I like about the podcast. I, I think we're roughly like, um, we're, we're a little bit more than 50% non uh you know us canadian listeners so this feels like one of those little small services that i can give context to to listeners who are readers about these stories that this this is a, an english idiom yeah i'm just gonna have to comment that uh, when i read this just uh, a couple hours ago i didn't actually think about it that oh here is some pun or something that didn't go into translation i just look at it like oh scrooge just is desperate here and is just doing the wrong thing that he's coming up okay we have to throw have to launch a big amount of monkey wrenches because oh yeah monkey wrenches they're big and hard and it worked for me i didn't actually think that there were any translation jokes here that got lost in translation but thank right. you for clearing that up mark yeah do you guys know the the rock band foo fighters um i think they're mm -hmm. pretty big internationally they have a song called monkey wrench for that reason again the beagle boys they they, they do they launch twelve thousand monkey wrenches in and it's um, it does nothing except give the Beagle Boys. The Beagles are going to repurpose those monkey wrenches hurled from an actual catapult, I might note. Again, how are we getting a catapult to Taltria, Idaho? There are in this? There. there are yeah. woodchucks there, Mark. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, they, the Beagles get to fire their own little mini cannons with mini monkey wrenches. And finally, the nephews do see a truckload of cement heading to the dam site. Um, so that that ends up doing the trick, right? That fouls it up. The the ducks. Couple couple of funny things here, right? We get a cool panel of the cement at work jamming up the machine. A beagle boy, the beagle boy that's looking at the conveyor belt says three concrete goose eggs come out. Then the machine stops. Goose egg is kind of a bark's favorite, but but a goose egg is like a negative thing in 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 some contexts. But, but I like what Dan Donald says. The Beagle Boys will be days chipping that concrete out of their machine. That's not what I was thinking right there, you guys. What, what did you think, Mikael? <laughs> I, I don't really see how they would be able to even get the concrete out of the finer details of the machinery. But yeah, that was my it should be like, This should be practically impossible. <laughs> right. Either that machine is a total loss or we're, we're looking at a time span of, of weeks regardless of how long it is going to give Scrooge enough time to get his own licks in, as he says, building a money thresher 10 stories high and a block wide. Because he's thinking that he's got to fight fire with fire. The Beagles clearly have a great invention, and it's the only way that he could get all his money out in time. I'm just going to read this narrator box, you guys, because it's great. Yeah. Soon, Tall Tree Valley is shaking with the thunder of two mighty Paul Bunyans. So, you guys, th this, this is that really exciting part, right? Now we've got both machines here. Um, the machines are about to face off with each other. The only downer is that it, it's not stretched out for maybe a half page, maybe a page and a half longer. This really seemed like it did beg for a little bit more development. We we see Donald kind of doing the same thing at Scrooge's conveyor belt, except he's saying dollars are stacked here, 
sawdust shavings and toothpicks go out there you know as scrooge's machine is is cutting down um and and at the same time the beagle boys have also made it into the money trees i love the panel where scrooge is yelling at them get out of there beagle boys get out or i'll chop your machine to pieces what a great pose he's got there He's Definitely. It's, it really shows that contrary to only poor old man and the money, well, Scrooge used trickery. He used his old um, memories and experiences to find the sneaky ways to trick the Beagle Boys. Now Scrooge just have, have it. He's done. Now he's going brute force to yeah. basically destroy the Beagle Boys and get rid of his pain in the <laughs> this pain in the neck they literally have become. Yeah, throughout this like last part of the story, he's working very much on instinct because he's just so desperate. He can't he, he can't even think about himself. He just launch monkey wrenches into them, build a machine, chop them to pieces. He's really just working on instinct there. Yeah, and and you guys, it almost seems like the Beagle Boys' downfall is that they were a little bit soft with Scrooge, right? Because in this case, Scrooge hits first, and it seems like with a Paul Bunyan machine, that's all that matters is is who strikes who first, and and he is much more aggressive in this story than they are, which is interesting. If Barks had um, another couple of pages, that might be something that he could have played around with, explored a little bit. It could there could have been something about you know do the ends justify the means. But you know even if even if the land isn't technically Scrooge's, I, I feel like he's got the money is very clearly his. Everyone knows this is the McDuck fortune, so I'm not going to fault him too much here. He he is definitely brutal with uh with his his you know controlling and and that quote i read from barks i feel it very acutely here wouldn't you guys just love to have seen um at least a half page panel of these machines battling each other maybe another panel of scrooge's machine actually chewing up the the beagles paul bunyan machine yeah, absolutely. I would love to see like a fight. I would love to see it more than just one hit. And also I'd love to see one of them or both of them actually being destroyed because you never actually see any damage on them. You see that one hit and then you see, you, yeah, you see a silhouette here of where it's showing that it's kind of being grinded and be, yeah, being uh, demolished in some way. And as you said earlier, Mark, I think if Barks made this story earlier in the 50s, like around 1953, then I think he would just have done it and gone with it like he basically did in uh, Back to the Klondike and so on. But post 1955, I don't think he would bother with the trouble anymore because if he knew that something would be too much for the publisher, then why spend so much time making something just to make see it get cut and not get paid for it? So. Right. We, we know from his own letters and his own notes that he hated to eat pages, right? He hated to not get paid for a page. So um, I'm sure he felt that more acutely as, as time went on. Uh, but but this is great. Scrooge has also taken the time to program his machine to be like a sci-fi 3D printer, clearly, because it, it makes its own dollies of the Beagle Boys out of their ground-up machine. And, and I would take one, I would prefer the Scrooge figure but but a beagle boy one in a heartbeat would be would be a delight you got to wonder if any of those actually got detailed enough to have different numbers 
on the <laughs> Well, <laughs> I am sure that, that you must have, have that <laughs> many in this story. Uh, only problem so, I would have to buy seven of them. But. Oh, exactly. Right. That And that is that is the magic number. Barks apparently never use more than seven. Oh, oh we actually do in this story. If if you uh, that's count the, um, oh, yeah, well, the next, very right. next panel just count yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's oh, yeah. so funny. I I recently oh, recorded um, an, an issue, an episode of our spinoff, Rosa Remarks, where I noted that, you know, Rosa notes this in his, in his notes that he had done his research and he had found that Barks never used more than seven beagles. So he actually went out and erased beagles, not wanting to, quote, upstage him. But, but you're right, Mikkel, there is, how there many 12, do we have there? Beagles. Yeah, we've got like a, a column of at least 12 beagles clearly right. depicted there. And that's so, also, that's not that's even the highest number. That's also not the highest number Barks used. There is a 10-pager with uh, Gyro, where the Beagle Boys try to beat up uh, Gyro loose. And uh, in that story, there is a little bus with 13 Beagle Boys. Nice. That, that one might feel a little less, quote, official, since it's one of the yeah. kind of throwaway Gyro 10-pagers. But still, yeah. that, that clearly is it. That would be a fun thing to clip and and post maybe. All right, so you guys, uh, our wrap-up page, the, the, the story has had its big conclusion here, right? That's the grand finale. Um, but the wrap-up page is very funny and very satisfying. We see Scrooge tossing out some of the little dollies to the beagles, telling them that they can uh, keep, they can remind your jailers to keep an eye on you. And, and the beagles are initially aghast. They're saying, what do you mean jailers? We're not going to jail. We haven't even been naughty. Um, but right <laughs> behind them, we get this steely FBI agent saying that they are, in fact, under arrest due to having paid for their Paul Bunyan machine with counterfeit money. Um, and you guys... There's so many funny things about this. First off, the Beagles acknowledge that they were about to stick up Scrooge for real. <laughs> um, but then they allow themselves to be arrested with this F by this FBI agent who is wielding nothing more than a switch, than a tree branch, and just telling them, hike! And they're just cooperatively marching, presumably off to jail. I, I love it. That, that cracks me up. That's that the part that you mentioned, uh, Mikkel, as the your favorite sequence. I agree. It's mine too. Um, but this is a close second as far as just like a, a funny little beat. Yeah, definitely, what's about to come right now. It's that's probably my second favorite part of it. The whole the whole little ending gag here when Scrooge feels uh, his back pain again and uh, rheumatism. Yeah. It's a nice little ending touch, right? It's it's telling the reader, Scrooge, of course, uh, he is only a poor old man in some ways because he is never going to be rid of his money stresses as a magpie swoops into one of the money bags, stealing stealing a dime um, and re-triggering his rheumatism. And he says, uh, we've got to get my money back to a safe place. Oh, what a life. It's It's a pretty perfect ending. Really? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it really sums up the whole last page of Only a Poor Old Man in basically just three panels. Yeah, it does. It doesn't hit as hard oh. at all, and it never could, and its purpose is not to. But as far as like going through sort of the same narrative structure, I, I think it does a really nice job of it. 
You guys, I did notice too on the index page, there's a note that, or in the Karl Barks guidebook rather, um, there's a note that there is a quote, congruence between this story and the Doom Diamond. And I guess that magpies are stealing Scrooge's money in that one. I, I barely, barely remember. I'm very interested in revisiting that late um, that very late Scrooge adventure. That might, that might have been his last one uh, for for a long span, right? Or that was his yeah. last written hand-drawn adventure story or something like that. No, that's true. It's true. Uh, it was the last one he did both uh, draw and yeah. uh, write. And that's yeah. also true. So, the the magpipes play a huge role as a kind of running gag in the story. Yeah, I I, I faintly remember it. So so anyway. That's the story. You guys, I, I'm just, I'm convinced more and more that this, this is a great late Barks adventure story. Actually, one thing I want to say very quickly. No, yeah. the Doom Diamond was not the last story Barks drew. Uh, that was actually a story with uh, Daisy, when I think about it. But I don't think yes. he wrote that story. So, yeah, of it, course. It's, uh, I think it was but... his last, it was certainly his last adventure story that he both yeah. wrote and drew. So, so what do you guys think? Are we are we crazy? Is this not a a, a, a pretty great Scrooge adventure? Uh, I'm just gonna have to say it really is a great Scrooge adventure, and uh, and maybe the rheumatism part kind of pulled me kind of out of the story and didn't may it wasn't believable to me in the start, but throughout the story, I it, I made it made me more. I, it uh, it grew on me. And also, of course, the machines are great. I love seeing those machines. So, and that's the most memorable thing from the story, I think. But I do think that, as we've said, uh, it does need some more time to just show what we all want to see. More splash panels, uh, half pages, maybe some time also uh, on this last page here. I think Scrooge goes from furious and crazy to very comfortable, very fast here. Uh, to see some inner, more inner conflict to make that, make him change his mood more and make him change his attitude would be nice. So I think this story maybe could have needed like two, three, maybe four more pages. It, I think it would really be great just to make sure to have those big half page panels and some more storytelling in some ways. I never think it feels rushed here. It's just that it's some pieces that would be nice to see more of. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it could benefit from, as you say, somewhere in the neighborhood of two pages, mostly of splash panels. Um, that seems like an easy, like flippant thing to say, like what what Bark's story couldn't have benefited from cool splash panels, that's all of them. But I do think there's like a case that this one, especially it, it had such a striking visual idea that really would have benefited from more of those. But but as you say, it doesn't feel rushed to me. It just it just could have been elevated by by a little bit more length. What about you, Mikael? Are are we crazy? Is is this not is this not a great story? I think it's a great story. I I find it very memorable and remember it very well from childhood when I first read it in the back seat of a car and and um, <laughs> on a holiday trip. Uh, it stands out more in my memory of early or late 50s bark stories than, let's say, The Flying Dutchman or The Price of Pizarro. This one is more, it feels like one of the big Beagle Boys versus Uncle Scrooge stories. 
And uh, absolutely, it has a lot to offer. It's uh, definitely could have been elevated more with more splash panels, as you guys have already pointed out. But it still doesn't suffer greatly from it. It's uh, it's a classic. It's a very memorable, uh, probably thanks to the Paul Bunyan Bunyan machine itself. Yeah, which makes it such a iconic thing in people's mind. Yeah, and just to be um, clear, there are two splash panels there, and those are the two splash panels that are absolutely needed. I'm so glad they're here, and I'm so glad there are off-page splash panels. And that's when, even though it doesn't happen, if you can see it visually, the Beagle Boys, Paul Bunyan machine, chopping the money bin from the top, and also doing the lumberjacking in the forest. Right. Uh, you you get those two, and you also get a uh, a bit of a fight, and that's what you need. You also have the establishing establishing shot of the Paul Bunyan machine that in itself is kind of a splash panel as well. That's true. It's it's probably more the late uh, the late part of the story that could be elevated. Yeah, we do get it. Like it's checking off the boxes to be just enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it just could have been more. Uh, yeah, Mikkel, I'm glad you mentioned the like recent stories because those are like contemporaneous, right? Prize of Pizarro and um, Flying Dutchman are both stories that I quite enjoyed, but they probably are better remembered by fans overall than this one. And I do find this one a lot more entertaining. I would just quickly say that one thing I find as a strength to this story is that it's more character-driven. The action that happens is because of characters' actions more more than, for example, uh, the Flying Dutchman or the Price of Pizarro, where I feel the characters just move along with the plot more and things happen. Yeah, those are good, enjoyable stories, but this this is notably character-driven um, on, on all ends. Well, I, I guess it's, it's more of a Scrooge and Beagles story. There's not really a lot of Donald characterization or too much nephews but um but it's very entertaining i i would i would say that this is a notably like underrated story because to me it just works on all fronts it's very entertaining it's got some great character art it's got an incredibly memorable just like plot device the machine itself as we've said um and and some 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 moments that are very entertaining for me. I will say too that this is not one of those stories that I read really early on. It's not like one that like I don't suspect that I just got attached to it because I read it so early. Like I read it fairly early, but it was fairly late in Gladstone's run of comics when they put this one out. So I just I gravitated towards this one because I liked it so very much. So you guys, let's check in on on what the community thinks because we're talking about it as an underrated story and uh this one gets a 7.5 on index the site where people can rate the comics um which is pretty respectable you know it's number 293 on the overall list which if if you break out the barks adventure stories that puts it at 78 best out of all which is like only in the 64th percentile because there's like roughly 122 adventure length stories so you know it's it's well into the lower half of these stories and i do think that this to me this feels like a top third of stories in in my own personal view of of how it ranks but you know that there are tons of these stories and it's totally fine for everyone to have their own favorites i just I think this is a much stronger story than people are kind of giving it 
Right. I also just have to point out that I do not say that um, I don't like stories like the, the Flying Dutchman and the Price of Pizarro. I do enjoy them very much. I just I just find the, the Bob Bunyan more memorable and enjoyable out of the late around 1958-59 right. adventures. Yeah, so. that's exactly how I feel. Those are totally enjoyable stories. This is just this is the one that I went back to much more. You guys, I always like to, as we get into wrapping up, I like to talk about if there have been any like sequels or adaptations of these. There hasn't really been a sequel. I did see where there was a story that alludes to this one briefly. There is a story that was published in 2002 in Denmark. It was a Vikar story that apparently makes some kind of reference to it, but I don't really know beyond that. You guys, um, what about what about Ducktales? Yeah, uh, as I know, there haven't been any references or anything from Ducktales, and I think it's really a shame that this story wasn't adapted into an episode because it, for me, to me, it kind of uh, reminds me of that uh, the giant robot robbers in some way. I believe it's because it's the Beagle Boys versus the Money Bin and it's right. mechanical giant things, and that that was made into uh, an episode, and I. Re- if I recall correctly, it was also very close to the Bark story, and, mm-hmm. and therefore a pretty good episode, in my opinion. So I really think that this would be suited for the same the same treatment. Yeah, go ahead. Mika. It definitely has a lot of visual gags that would be easy to adapt into, with the whole monkey driver and <laughs> catapult and. Right. Yeah. Honestly, the um the the conveyor belt gag almost feels like a DuckTales thing now that I think about it. It feels like the, mo- the most DuckTales-ish type gag that, that Barks has ev- ever done, because it's more cartoon logic than comic book logic, I would say. Um, but yeah, it would have been delightful to have seen animated. Also, I just want to talk about that, uh, how much the machine has made an impression on people, because I just wanted to send you a link on the Facebook chat right away. Because I remember, if I remember correctly, I'm a bi- I'm a big Lego fan as well as being a Disney Duck comic fan. And I there's a Lego has this project that they, they have been having for like 10 years uh, called Lego Ideas, where you can upload Lego fans can upload custom builds, and people will vote on them. And if they get like 10,000 supporters or something, Lego will look into it and maybe make it an official set. And I think that there was a project. Uh, uploaded at some time for this for a Paul Bunyan machine. To go- had to Google Lego Paul Bunyan machine, and I found this. I, ca- I can't see any name here, but it is a giant Lego Paul Bunyan machine. Mm-hmm. But there are made these Lego things are being made, and I think that's just really cool. It right. definitely yeah. would be a market for it because when I was a child, I used to build my own little cardboard money bins, fill them with little toy money, and I would of course have. Beagle Boy stand in trying to rob this little kinder egg plastic duck who had whiskers who kind of looked like Uncle Scrooge, so he was a stand in for him playing around. That's great. Yeah, this image you sent me is awesome. I'll definitely have to include that. That looks like so much fun. (laughs) Let's see, gentlemen, I think we covered it pretty well. We should uh, we should take a moment to ponder if there are any panels that we would like to call out. It's it's pretty obvious that the splash panels are very visually arresting. They're standout panels. Um, so I, I, I'll just assume that we're all going to say those and we can maybe list our 
other panels that we think are worth mentioning. Yeah, so I, I I did kind of highlight this already, but I really love that one panel where Scrooge is just absolutely, I love this, the one where he's losing his cool. Um, and he is just waving his fists at the Beagle Boys, threatening to chop their machine to pieces. It cracks me up. There is a lot of Scrooge. He changes his mood very much throughout this story. Uh, and yeah. He's confident. He is he's ferocious. He's really happy clicking his heels together in a jump. He's afflicted. Mm-hmm. So just seeing all this and how it varies is really good. And and the other that I'd probably mention is is the uh, the two panels that go together of the the worry room and and the result of his pacing. Um, how about you? Uh, anyone got one? Uh, I do two. I do like the one the early one right before Barks revealed uh, the Paul Bunyan machine with Scrooge is going to take his uh, rheumatism medicine. And yeah. his uh, disgusted, fa- disgusted face there. It's yeah, really great that is character art. The other one is the one where we hear that Scrooge Colt was uh, bought back in uh, 1902. Just because I really like the golden fleeching story and find just, I really love that there is a callback to that story in a way. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, what about you, Ruben? Yeah, one thing that I uh, saw on the first page that feels like is a very Barks thing that I haven't seen in a while is the funny vehicles in the background. There's a lot of funny vehicles in the background on the first, and also the yeah, there's a, there's three I see. Oh three yeah, funny vehicles on the. Um, I thought you said vehicles at first. I just realized oh, no. you said vehicles. vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those are good. The, the little background flying machines and stuff. Yeah, the first one is like a tall unicycle, and then there's like this, it looks like a flying boat. Yeah, so, I so just those to, are all, just... um, Barks did a great job, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and also the truck, uh, I love it when, I also love the sequence where Scrooge is driving with a cannon on the back of that truck, because as I said, he's working on instincts here. He doesn't have, and he's uh, really desperate. He's working, he's really trying just to do things as fast as he could. And I love seeing that he's driving that truck so fast and he didn't have time to tie the cannon on the back. And then, then I love the catapult sequence. I don't know, it, it's just the art, I think. Seeing Scrooge just tossing things in, into that whole onion machine. And also uh, on the fourth panel of that page, when the when the beagle boys are they, on the on the third panel they're just saying oh we could uh, fire the monkey wrenches uh, small monkey wrenches back at old scrooge on the second page you just see them going into scrooge and in through his top hat uh, right it just the, the timing here also just saying oh we could do that and then on the second right. page you don't actually Showing see them the, fire. Uh... you don't see you don't see them firing it or anything just that oh they're going through his hat Right. Yeah. So good, good choices all around. Um, I'm glad we, we got to have fun being pretty, pretty effusive about this one. Um, so thank you both gentlemen. This was a lot of fun uh, appreciating this. What, what I think we all agree is a pretty under underappreciated story. So hopefully folks will stick around. Um, next episode is going to be a little less adventurous. We are going to be covering the Christmas cha-cha. So um, that'll be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, you can follow Barks Remarks on Facebooks and sometimes on Instagram, and you can reach out at barksremarks at gmail.com. 
And uh, thank you, gentlemen, very much for joining me for this one. It was a lot of fun. It really was. Thank you a lot for having us again. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Marcus. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always a delight.